You're listening to the Master Photography Podcast. Welcome to the Master Photography Roundtable, part of the Master Photography Podcast Network. You're joined by thousands of photographers listening to the show who are all on the same journey to master their photography. Jeff Harmon, the host for this episode, and with me is my good friend, Brent Bergkrum. How are you, Brent? Hey, doing well. Excellent. And we have good friend of the show, Jim Harmer, back with us. Jim, how are you? It's been forever. Awesome. I'm really excited to be back and talking with you guys. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I'm so excited. Now, so we've, we've, it's been over a year, Jim, since, <laughs> since you've been on the show. And we've had it's lots. Been a while. Yeah, a while. We've had lots of new listeners come. So why don't you, you give like the 30 second, what is, who is Jim Harmer? What's he doing these days kind of thing? Yeah. So after running improved photography for years, I uh, moved to put my focus on uh, incomeschool.com, which is a website where we teach um, internet marketing, uh, creating YouTube channels and blogs to create an income for your family. And uh, it's been quite a whirlwind. We've gone from zero to 50 employees in the last six months. (laughs) Um, And so it's been crazy, but crazy fun as well. And so anyway, if you want to check me out, you can see me on the Income School YouTube channel. We've been really, really active over there and uh, it's fun creating yeah. online businesses. Yep. And and I don't think it would be bad for photographers to check that out. Uh, you can figure out how you can, you can make your website uh, more relevant, I think is, <laughs> is something yeah, that, that sure. Jim can help with. So yeah, we'll, we'll put some links in the show notes at the, at the bottom of the show notes about where you can find that. But that's not what we're here to talk about in this episode, even though I'm sure Jim would love to go on <laughs> about that. But what we're going to talk about today is a topic that is not new to the show. We've, we have talked about this uh, many, many times, but there's a new story that has come out in the, the mainstream, I'll, talk, I'll call it the mainstream photography media. I think I've even seen it a little bit in non-photography media where uh, it's, it's really made a lot of a lot of news recently, and that's something to do with copyright. And I'm, we're not going to start with the story itself, but um, right off the top, uh, we need to put in the disclaimer um, that we're not lawyers, or we're not your lawyer anyway. Um, Brent and I are not lawyers at all. Jim, definitely not. <laughs> Jim did study to be a lawyer, uh, but he's not your lawyer, whoever's listening to this. So, <laughs> right off the top, whatever we talk about here, it's just people talking about it. And if you have any needs for helping, uh, you know, copyright needs for your business as a photographer, we definitely recommend you need to go get an actual lawyer in your area that will help you with your specific needs. Is that a good enough there disclaimer there, Jim? Good enough for me. <laughs> okay. All right. So with that done, what I want to start with here as we get into this discussion with copyright, I want to talk about realistic things that help photographers to protect their photos first. I want to lay down some groundwork there because this news story is one where I think they did everything right and they're still having trouble. So, um, but I want to talk about kind of the, the basic things that I know I've heard about a lot that photographers should be doing to protect their photos. And, and then we'll, we'll dive into the story and, and talk about um, you know, the details about what's going on with that story and why it's been such a big deal. So um, I want to start with the hobbyist angle, since that's me. <laughs> I'm the hobbyist photographer. 
And um, and and then and I want to talk kind of what I'm doing and is that actually helpful? Does it really matter? Uh, and then I want to say, I want to kind of turn it over to you guys as um, you know, pros. Is there anything different? Is there anything more that pros need to be doing? Is there a difference between what the hobbyist is doing? Uh, and then we'll dive into the story. How's that sound, guys? Sounds, Sounds great. Good. All right. Okay, so let's let's talk about hobbyist photographers, and and I want to baseline what hobbyists means here too. Because I think a lot of people, when they hear the word hobbyist, they think it's synonymous with beginner a lot. And that's not necessarily true. I mean, you can even have pros that are beginners, too. So it's not not fair that everyone jumps there. But, uh, you know, that's what it is usually. So when I, when I say hobbyist in this context, what I'm talking about is a photographer who knows how to do exposure. They're, they're not just guessing on that. They, they know how to use their camera. They know how to... Uh, get some compositions that are compelling. They know how to do post-processing without taking it overboard. They're, they're producing and creating images that are good images, images that appeal to a lot of people, and they want to make sure that they're protecting those images. So that's, that's what I'm putting in context here. It's just that maybe they're not doing this full-time. They're not, it's not the primary way they're making their income. It's still kind of a hobby or a side job kind of scenario. All right. So with that in mind, um, which is kind of where I am, uh, I want to talk about what I'm doing. You guys can tell me and I want to know, I want to get your opinions on, does it matter? Does this help protect your images? And so um, I'm going to start out with like the more simple things and get to the, the things that I find more difficult to kind of do to protect your photos. Um, first thing is copyright in camera. So if you don't know, if anyone listening doesn't know, there is a feature in your camera, I believe it's pretty much in all cameras, that you can go and set copyright information in your camera. And you, it's a, a pretty simple thing. There's a menu you go to. You'll find a place to go put that in. And, um, and then every time you trip the shutter, every time you push that shutter button, that information gets written into your digital file for your your. Uh, your photos that you're taking it works whether it's jpeg or raw doesn't matter it's, it's going to be written into the file and i try hard to remember to remind uh photographers like at the beginning of every year time to go update that information go put in the current year if that's part of your copyright information you go put in your current year and so i have that in my my own shots that's all that's that's there jim does it matter does it matter that i have copyright in there well, y- yes and no. I'm, I, I, there can be some situations if a work truly is orphaned that um, that you can that somebody could use an image and use that as a defense. But that's rare. Just when somebody finds an image online, just because uh, I can't find who took this picture doesn't mean you just get to use it, right? Um, but but there is uh, you know an orphaned work portion at work here. Um, there was, if I remember right, there was something in Mexico that required the date. Having the, having the date in the United States, I don't see as being super important. Um, but, but you know, it, it's a best practice for sure to, uh, to have that information in there. And, and in a more practical way, forget, forget the legal, uh, because even if you never put this in your camera, it's not like you don't have, you know, your copyright just because you didn't put this into the file, right? You have your copyright no matter what. Um, but it's certainly a best practice because most people are aware that you can't just steal photos 
and would and very likely would contact you. I've certainly been contacted when somebody says, hey, I found this image out in the internet um, just kind of randomly and I'd like to license it for this, that or the other. So I think practically it has a huge effect legally, maybe not so much. Okay, so it, the practical aspect is probably the reason to do it and putting in at least like your website <laughs> address so that they can truly find you would be the more critical part of it. Then. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. Brent, uh, you put copyright in your camera? I do. And then I also have Lightroom put that website information in the metadata as well. So, uh, and it has my full information, my address, my phone number. So you can put all your information in there. But that is just something too, where if you're putting it on Facebook, it's you know, 99% chance it's going to be stripped out of there. So it only goes so far uh, as far as, you know, it is a a good practical thing to do. But, you know, if you're putting your image on your website, then it's not going to be stripped out of there uh, unless you have some kind of other image optimization going on that might rip it out. But uh, generally, it's I would say certainly put it in there because it's just a few extra characters of data and uh it's it's going to be worth it for those at least who are honest it makes it easy and convenient for them to find you perfect okay um copyright so that's the the first thing i do next thing is watermarking we've we've talked about this on the podcast before too yes or no it's there's a, a a big there's pros and cons to it there's a lot of discussion about it people seem to go through phases uh, especially like a, a hobbyist who really wasn't confronted with people stealing their images for a long time and then suddenly figures finds that they were infringed upon um then they're they're all about watermark <laughs> very soon after that they're they're all about learning about the watermarking that's going on and um and so so let's let's talk about watermark i do some watermarking but i do it because the service that i've decided to use for for my portfolio really handles this pretty nice. I think some other services do too, but I, I really only have experience with Zenfolio. So when I put my images up in Zenfolio, I have the option to apply, have Zenfolio um, apply a watermark to the images as they're being previewed on my site. So as, as someone might be looking through the portfolio, the watermark can be there. And then if they do decide to license it, then after they license it, the website automatically has an, a version of the image that they it, it's got available to it that doesn't have the watermark and, and the the person who licensed the photo can download it. So so that's there and that has been super helpful with my sports photography in particular because um, people, uh, parents of, of athletes seem to not really be so concerned about copyright. <laughs> that hasn't been, uh, I've seen, I've witnessed it myself that the images I've taken of high school athletes, they uh, they don't seem to have much they don't care, even if the watermark's there. Actually, it hasn't it hasn't completely turned it off of people uh, taking the image and, and doing whatever they like with it. But uh, the watermark has led to um, more people licensing the photo and buying buying a copy of it than just taking it. So I have done that. I also went through a period where I, like in Lightroom, used the on export watermarking feature that's there to uh, to make it so that the the photos I exported out of Lightroom, at least a version of it. And when I exported, I, I would export like, you know, the full resolution version without the watermark. And that would be so that I could put it up on my Zenfolio site and put it out there for licensing. And then the 
the much smaller resolution social media version that included my watermark. And then I, when I, sh- so that when I shared it out on social media, it would have it. It was like a, you know, less obtrusive kind of watermark and uh, one that would not be too hard for someone that had even basic Photoshop skills to get rid of. So, uh, so I have done that. I haven't done it in recently. I'd say within the last year or so, I haven't even cared about watermarking out of Lightroom. And when I go to share it on social media, I, I know images are going to be used. Um, so I haven't worried about it too much. But uh, Brent, what, what do you do with watermarking? Is that something you think is important? I like to do it and it is my signature. So I've just scanned my signature and put it into Photoshop to make a, a transparent item. So it just overlays really nicely. And so I, I do that more for a branding element than anything else, because when people see that, hopefully they'll associate that with me. I use my signature and other branding items on my website. Uh, so it's it, it, that's pretty much the primary reason I do it. As far as a copyright protection, like you've said, folks are just like, you know, I like it. I'm going <laughs> to I'm I'm walk it. with it. Yeah. It's, I'm going to, you know, right click and download or tap on the phone and download or whatever the case might be. Uh, on my website, when I put things through my gallery plugin, it does disable the ability to just right click and download, but you can always get a screen capture and you always. can always find other ways of getting it. So it's not, you know, those those restrictions on download, et cetera. Yeah, sure, that can be a tiny help, but it's only for those who are honest. So it's still not something that's going to uh, keep those who are dishonest from from doing the work. and. I'd like to say too, most folks don't view it as being dishonest, right? Uh, right, because they're just using it casually. You know, it's it's not something that. Well, I'm not making money off it, so and I can understand where they're coming from. But you try and tell that to uh, uh, someone who publishes movies, like you know Hollywood, or someone who publishes music, and certainly that's not going to fly. So right. uh, people just tend to view photography differently, though. Okay, Jim, what do you think about watermark? Well. I, I don't watermark. I actually find it really annoying. <laughs> uh, uh, I do. I just feel like it's ruining the image. Some yeah. are prettier than others, but I just want I don't I just want your eye to see the image. You get that initial view of it. You enjoy it. Then you're looking deeper into it. And when there's a watermark, you don't have that. You you quickly see the image. You like it, and then your eye has to bounce down That's to right. the bottom right For sure. yep. uh, to look at it. And to me, I just oh, I just I don't like it personally for that reason. From a practical standpoint, I think it helps a lot because it, it people at least realize like, hey, somebody cares about this picture right. um, from a practical standpoint. And from a legal standpoint, uh, if somebody removes that um, that watermark, you can get damages under Section 1202 for up to $25,000 plus attorney's fees. So there could be good reasons to use watermarks legally. Um, and even practically, just for me, I just would like the art to stand on its own. <laughs> All right, fair enough. So, I, it's a tough choice. I think for for a hobbyist, it's going to be a hard choice. Uh, again, you're they're not they're not making their living this way. So, I, I think a lot of hobbyists are are going to trend towards that same opinion, Jim. That's like I just don't want it to ruin my photo. This photo, I worked so hard to create this photo. I want it to to be seen as I created it, and I don't want this watermark to distract from it. 
And so it's it's a tough call to make. I, I guess it's going to be tough for the pros too. Um, and it, it's it's a hard decision uh, about what you're going to do with it. I I've done both. I've put them out both ways. And I mean, it's another item on my list that we'll talk about in a second is finding infringements. Uh, maybe that's why I haven't <laughs> I haven't gone to worry about it. I know my images are getting taken. Uh, it's just kind of the nature of what it is. If you're going to share it on social media, if you're going to share it on your portfolio, there's probably people that are are taking the photo. And uh, so I, it, it's a tough decision that I think, you know, every photographer is going to have to make that balance between the little bit of protection and, and that automatic sort of uh, defense you get if it does come to like a court battle on infringement, then that helps. Uh, so that that's good. And, we're, and that's part of the story that we're going to talk about in a second. Uh, let's move to the next item, and that's licensing terms on a website. Um, I don't think I have done a, a really good job of this on my own website. I have. There's a there's a shopping cart function that Zenfolio offers. So I mean, it's it's obvious that you can buy the photo, and because I mostly use the watermarking feature too, that leads people to that. But there's not like a I don't have a how to license photos kind of link on the site where it explains what the licensing things are. I, I don't have something like that there. Is that something, Jim, that helps or what what should photographers do if they do have a, a website for making it clear what licensing terms are? Yeah, well, I think what you just said is is the real key there. It's just a matter of making it clear. What I would not want to see a photographer do is have a long contract associated uh, when you're downloading that image that you click, you know, I, I agree to this contract because that's just inviting a, a misunderstanding between photographer and client, right? They're not going to read through that. And if they do, they probably won't understand it. And so most people are going to want to do the right thing. And so I feel like, you know, even, you know, if we do have a click, I, I agree to the contract you know put it put four or five bullet points there you know you're allowed to use this this photo online you're allowed to print you know copies for your personal use you're not allowed to sell this image that that you've licensed you know even a couple bullet points to just make it clear what's happening what they're buying what rights they're buying i feel like is is much more important than trying to get a, a complicated contract because Honestly, if if they do violate the contract, are you really going to sue them? Like, are you really going right, to lawyer right. up and, you know? <laughs> and so I, f- I feel like for most photographers, the answer is going to be no under normal circumstances. And so just make it clear. Okay. Make it clear a few bullet points. And I, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't thought about it enough to see if the Zenfolio, since that's the one I use, there's others and there's other features that are out there. I'm, we may hear from uh, listeners on the fa- in the Facebook group that of sites and services they're using for this, which would be wonderful. If you if you have a way that you're doing this that we could point other photographers to, uh, by all means, share that with us. We'd love to hear it. See what uh, what other people are doing. I don't know if I have the capability to show that little like bullet point thing as as someone goes to license it. It's probably there. I just haven't looked into it to see. All I I do know that I I could go create like a another page on the site. I could have licensing as a, a link on the site and, and share it there. 
but I'm not sure if like in the shopping cart itself I could do it. I don't know. I'll have to look into that and see. Yeah, and, may, and maybe just like in the description of the product, you know, you could just right. bold a section that says, hey, this basically allows you to use it however you want personally. Just don't sell it. Don't put it on billboards, etc. Right. And, you know, you would also want to want to say, you know, you know, you need to read the whole contract, but etc. But I, I think just from a practical standpoint, that's probably your best way. Right. Brent, do you put any licensing terms on your site? I actually don't. I don't do any licensing through my site. I actually have an agent for that. And so uh, my I'm represented by Danita Delamont, and she's in Bellevue, Washington. And so she takes care of all that. And I don't have to worry about stuff like that. Um, my biggest problem is just getting more photos to her, uh, being that I'm as busy as I am, uh, collecting images and shipping them off to her, uh, because let's face it, I don't get much money out of it. So it's, it's not that <laughs> right. motivating for me uh, to do that. Uh, so when I do, uh, I do have plans to start selling uh, fine art type uh, prints through my website. Uh, when that happens, then I'll certainly have some kind of item there that says, you know, you can't, uh, you're not buying the license to reproduce this. You're buying the artwork to hang on your wall, that kind of a thing. And and so I'll, I'll make it clear at that time. But right now I don't have anything uh, with licensing like that. Okay. And then now let's move on to the, the last thing that I'm doing as a hobbyist, trying to, you know, a, a minimal effort. I, I'm not going crazy on this to try to protect my images like a pro might because that's it's threatening their livelihood more than what it is for me. So I, I did whatever was easy. <laughs> and and uh, this next one is the one that isn't so easy. And so I haven't invested almost any time in it. And that's trying to find infringement, trying to, to see who is infringing on photos, if they're using them in a, in a massive way, like printing t-shirts using your image or, or something like that. Something that is is kind of a big deal and, and should have been licensed and and you definitely do compensation for it. So uh, I know there's there's two common methods that have been used. One is totally free, but is more manual, and that's Google Image Search. So you can go to Google. You can drag a one of your photos. Uh, I think even a group of photos. Do you guys know? Can you take a whole bunch of photos at once and drag it onto the Google search and have that? I've work? never done a group. I've only done okay. individual. So it might only be one. I've I've tried it occasionally but because it's manual and you have to remember and think about doing it i just don't so because it's not as that that big of a deal to me personally it's not worth my time to go and do that so but what you can do is drag and drop you drop the image onto the google search it will show you places where it recognizes that image it's actually very fast so it's not like it takes a ton of time but it would to go one photo at a time through your photos and, and search for them that way. But that's one way that you can try to see how is my image being used out there in the world. The other one is uh, there's lots of paid services that will do this for you where you can point the service to your photos, preferably probably out on like your portfolio website. And then it will, it'll scan for you on a you know periodic basis and notify you of infringers. So the one that I have tried, I, I know there's others, but the one I've actually experienced is pixie.com. So that's P-I-X-Y. And I saw it, I think, in, in some kind of a news story, like, you know, years and years ago when they first launched the service. And since they had a free plan, I decided, oh, I'll go check it out. I'll, I'll see what it's like. 
in the free tier, I, I haven't been to it in so long. I couldn't even remember what the service offered. And, and I think terms have changed over time. But today, right now, if you go sign up for the service, there's still a free tier. What you get for that free tier is they'll, they'll monitor 500 images. So you can point them to someplace and the first 500 images that they look at is all they'll monitor. And then you're, they will scan the internet for infringement of that image but you'll get a low priority. They, they'll only allocate kind of the, the leftover cycles that they have for the, that is not being used for the paid accounts to try to find it. And they will not issue takedown notices for you. So that's the free tier. There's paid versions. If you're interested, go, go check it out over at pixie.com and, and see if you're interested in doing that. <clears throat> the, the, the result though has been, I have had emails from Pixie over the years that I've used it, where they've said, uh, you know, whenever they found an infringement that seemed like an inf- infringement, they they are upfront about it. Like, we're going to find places where your image is being used and it may not be an infringement. So you're going to have to help us with that. You're going to have to look at it and see, is this actually an infringement? And if it is, do you want us to help you with that infringement? Do you want us to help with a takedown notice? You want us to help with uh, engaging with the infringer and um, having them... Uh, try to pursue like legal action. So, and then of course they'll take a percentage of it. If they do the legal action, they're going to, they're going to take their fees out of it, uh, of what it costs them to do it. Uh, so they've sent me emails. I go and check it out. And occasionally I have found somebody that was actually infringing and then I didn't have pixie deal with it. I would contact the person and, and say, or the company and say, uh, looks like you're, you're using my photo and it wasn't licensed. Let's talk about licensing terms. And it's, I think only one time have I actually had someone license it from that method, which is why I haven't spent much time on it because this is my hobby. I'm not looking to make, <clears throat> make tons of money from this. Um, I'm not, this, this is not my livelihood. So I'm not, uh, I'm not one that's trying really hard to go out there and defend my images. So first off, let's be, I wanted to ask about, is that a bad thing? Um, Jim, from a legal perspective. But before we answer that question, you guys doing any of this with your images? Are you tr- trying to find infringe- infringement? I've signed up in the past with image rights that essentially does the same thing. Um, you know, I I would have a problem if, uh, you know, a company used my image, especially in a commercial way, just that the vast majority of people understand that's not okay. Um all the time I see, ah, you know, individual bloggers using my image or right, right. it's on, you know, put on social media when I, you know, taken from my site and that kind of thing. I mean, yes, legally, yes, I could go after them. I just, I don't, yeah, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't have enough. I, it's okay. Right, right. <laughs> I just, it's not that big of a deal. Um, so yeah, there, I have had issues with companies taking images and for that, like, yeah, I, I, that's not okay. I put a lot of work and time into my photography and so I, I will contact them and go after them. And so a service like this that can help you find it automatically is helpful. But, um, eh, I don't know. I, I'm not too crazy on it. <laughs> what about you, Brent? <laughs> I, no, I, I've never actively hunted it down, but I certainly have tripped across some infringements. And one time it was a someone on a Facebook group or page was using it. And I just filed a DMCA takedown request and it took a day or two and it was down. Uh, eons ago, uh, I actually 
tripped across something in a magazine, you know, an actual magazine that's on the rack. Wow. And it was like five or six of my images and they were all very trashy, poor resolution, pixelated. And I was like, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> because I had actually made a submission, but, you know, I sent low res and... I'm thinking, you know, if I make a submission, certainly they won't run it if it's low res. And so I then contacted the editor and he profusely apologized and uh, did pay me some money. And he was like, well, also that guy no longer works for us. And he (laughs) gave me the whole backstory of how basically terrible of a worker this fellow was. And he just didn't understand how the industry works. And... I chose to believe him and not worry about it and pursue it any further. And I, I got some money out of it, so that's fine. But still, it was just, I'm literally just kind of browsing at the the magazine rack at the grocery store, looking at this one regional magazine that I had submitted to and just, just you know, doing my research as it were. So what kind of images are they running? Oh, they're running my images. <laughs> How about that? And wow. uh, so that, that was kind of fun. But yeah. otherwise, uh, I'm kind of along the lines of gyms where it's just like, it's it's not something that, uh, but, but the, I guess my take on it is I'm really not making that much money off the licensing of my images because the market has gone so south on the use of images. Uh, you know, I'm, make, I, I'm trying to make more money on other things. And so things like my videos, uh, for instance, like my video course, if that were to get ripped off, I would go all sorts of crazy. Oh, yeah, sure. And that is something that, you know, talk about spending time and effort on, you know, nine hours of video. Uh, there's a lot of, <laughs> you know, that's my heart and soul kind of right. thing. It's, and my photos are too. But as far as the market and what uh, the market is able to bear on those photos, it just, I just don't make money from that. Uh, not enough to put food on the table anyway. And um, oh, I totally understand that. I, we have <laughs> our course on income school. Yeah. Um, we have, it has happened. It's funny, years of running improved photography and having dozens of photography classes on there. I can't remember a single time that the course, like the video course, was stolen. Yeah. And on income school, it's almost a weekly occurrence. Wow. It's crazy. Oh. We I, we had one just a little bit ago where somebody joined our course. They uh, they logged eight days worth of screen time in like 12 hours, which means wow. they had they had the course open in like 20 tabs at once yeah, right. uh, yeah. downloading videos. Um, and then they uh, they asked for a refund like 12 hours after they purchased wow. uh, and oh, no. we looked at their log and was like yeah i don't think so i know exactly what you're doing <laughs> wow. uh, and and there are at least a dozen sites selling my 450 dollar course for under 50 bucks oh, um and most terrible. of them are in india i'm sorry yep. uh sorry to say a specific country but most of them are um and it's it's very very difficult to fight if they have a server in the united states i can get them taken down right away if they don't uh i'm pro- it's probably tough. out of luck yep Okay, so we talk for the photos. We feel like yeah, might not be worth the term. I've heard the juice isn't worth the squeeze. 
<laughs> for, yeah. for, for that. Uh, I have a good friend that, that says that all the time. Juice just isn't worth the squeeze on that, on that effort, whatever we're talking about. And so, so it doesn't feel that way. But Jim, from a legal perspective, is that a problem? Like if we do decide on, on a specific infringement, like, oh gosh, this is one I really need to go after. Is it bad to have a sort of a precedent out there that you're not actively seeking to defend your copyright? Well, yes, it, it could be pretty tough to prove that, you know, um, if if I were to sue somebody over copyright and somebody went back to this podcast, yeah, they would have a legal argument. They're like, hey, yeah, actually, you, you may have abandoned your copyright right. uh, by allowing others uh, to to take it without a license, etc. So, yes, I, I think it could be. But in a practical standpoint, I mean, I mean. Every really good photo is taken, right? right? right. It's going to be taken. Uh, if it's on the internet and it's really good, it's been taken before. Um, and so I, I you know, I, I wouldn't worry so much about that, but yeah, I wouldn't want to like set, you know, be the guy who says, yeah, take my image no matter, you know, whatever, and be crazy about that. And then all of a sudden want to sue when a company takes it. So yes, I think, I think it is important. Okay, so it seems like there's a kind of a balance to be struck there, um, especially for the hobbyist. I don't think they're going to be spending, allocating tons of time to going and finding infringers and, and trying to defend the copyright on their shots. Um, let's talk about the pros then. Well, first, actually, I guess before leaving that, those are the things that I thought of about what am I doing to protect my photos. Is there something obvious that is not on my list? Of oh, things? yeah. Okay. Yes. Right, Jim, what? <laughs> What what's it, obvious? And it and it matters probably twenty times more than anything else we've talked about so far. Perfect. And it's registering your copyright. Okay. Um that that's the big one. Because if you do everything that we've talked about so far and somebody takes your image, the most you can do is sue them for five hundred bucks, whatever your licensing fee would have been. Actual damages. Right. Um, and so everything we've talked about so far, that's probably all you're going to get. Now, that's not that's not 100 percent true. There have been some cases where people like registered uh, the photo after the fact. There, there are some things you can do. But mm, practically, if, if you haven't registered your copyright, that's probably all that's going to happen. If you go talk to a copyright attorney and say, somebody took my photo, that's the first question they're going to ask is, did you register the copyright? Right. And the the interesting thing here is it, it gives you additional statutory damages uh, when somebody d- takes a photo uh, that that has been registered, but it's not as if you have to do that in order to own your copyright. You own your copyright as soon as you press the shutter. Um, but if we're talking about like, I really do want to protect this and yes, I would actually sue, uh, and, and raise a stink if somebody stole this, then that's what you absolutely must do. The problem is the system just does not make sense in 2019. And of course it's the government. And so it may never be updated <laughs> right. because the government moves at the speed of the government. Right. Um, <laughs> like in a social media world where you went and take, you went and took photos and they need to be on online in an hour or they're out of date. That, that system is just crazy to try to do that. 
but but that's the world we live in. And so if you're if you're that route and you're going to be Mr. Litigious about this and you're just going to say no and and you have every right to be. I'm I'm kind of talking down to that. A lot of people run their business way. A lot of businesses need to run this right, way. Right. And so I totally get it. I'm just, I, I just, I guess the reason I want to approach it this way is that for most photographers, I think sometimes we add a lot of stress to our lives for something that really just we have to be practical about and that's how the world works. Okay. So I have not added that to my workflow and I did, I thought that was something a pro might, might really be interested in doing. Um, let's talk about the pros then since, since we're, we're going there. Uh, do all of these things apply to the pros? Uh, what what extra uh, registering their copyright for sure is something that a pro who, who really needs to, the capability to uh, to go after somebody for full damages if if that happens. Um, what what's worth spending their time on? How what what workflow do you recommend, Jim? The only one I, I only thing I would really add to this is just communication with the client. Um, it, it, it actually makes me kind of mad, um, even though I'm a photographer and I love photographers and I love photographers rights. It, it actually makes me kind of mad when a photographer meets with this couple. They're going to be married. They sit down in the coffee shop. They talk through the price. There's this long contract. The photographer asks them to sign. Wedding day happens. The photographer takes all the pictures. They're fantastic. The couple is happy. And then the photographer turns around and says to the couple, great, 50 bucks an image. Um, or even worse in my mind is you can order prints, but you can't have the digitals. Right. Uh, or you can have, you know, order each individual image and all the other memories that are like the start of your family. Yeah, sorry. They're going to waste away on my hard drive. Um, and and it's fine. However, photographers want to do their pricing and do their licensing. It's your right to do so. But when that is not very clearly communicated to the client, what exactly they're going to be able to do with the images long before they hire them, I think that's a travesty. I think it's very, very unfair to the client who has, who just, you have superior information. You know how the licensing works. Most wedding clients expect that they're going to get a hard drive of full res images and most wedding photographers will not do that. Right. And so you, you got to be clear about that because one, it's going to just create legal problems later if you do decide to go after this. But two, it's just not very nice to the client who doesn't understand that system. And so, you know, most of the, of the law is about just clear communication between people. If you really understand what's happening and you both have the same expectation, it's rare that it turns into a legal case. It's where there's miscommunication and then one person wants to stick to what they understood that suddenly we end up in, in a court. All right. Hey, Brent, do you register your copyright? So I have done it eons ago. I, I haven't done it recently, and I still am within the three-month time frame to do it with my video course, so I will be doing it uh, in the next month with my video course. <laughs> you just took a note <laughs> down, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've had this in the back oh, of my okay. mind. Right. It's, yeah, that, that, no, no note-taking needed. <laughs> no note-taking. And it, so I have never done it, and the re real reason I have never done it is uh, it's it's a pain. <laughs> Oh, it's a pain. I totally agree. It's a pain. I looked into it. I was like, what? Oh, this is ridiculous. I do not want to do this. 
<laughs> it is not again the juice is not worth the squeeze <laughs> for, for me <laughs> yeah so uh it, yeah so painful connor and i did an episode about this a little while ago so i don't want to go into it here we've already we've already talked about the kind of context for the news story <laughs> for for long enough but uh so if you're interested and you you want to get some information on on what to do there then go go listen to that episode in the uh, back catalog of, of master photography podcast uh, but that's that's why I don't do it, um, and that's why I didn't include it in the list of things I'm doing because I'm not. I've never registered any of my images through the copyright office. It's just painful, um, and so it, it wasn't wasn't worth it to me. It was extra fun when I was shooting slides. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because now you can do it online, but you know when you're shooting slides, I literally would have a sheet of slides on my copy machine. I had a really bright light shining down through it, and you know, so I could get a transparent scan as it were. Uh-huh. And then, uh, then that was, that was good enough. And it had captions because I had, I did slide labels for the, for the slide mounts. So it had the captions and all that other stuff. And then you had at least some kind of representation of what the image was. And so that, that worked basically. So, uh, it was a fun process, but yeah, I don't, I haven't done it in the digital world yet. Yeah. I, it's just hasn't been worth it to me, but if if you really want to be able to make something like get full damages, that's almost yeah. essentially required. That's what you were saying, right, Jim? Yeah, yeah. If yeah. you want the full statutory damages, it's how you get them. Yep, that's what has to happen. Okay, with that background, let's let's now talk about our story. Um, I was going to read a lot up from directly from the document that came out from the court ruling, but I I, I think that'll take too long. So I'm I'm going to summarize a little bit here. And I'll put a link in the show notes to the actual court document that came out from this this case. Um, and and then, Jim, I need your help in defining some of this stuff, helping us understand what some of this stuff means. Um, cool. All right. So there's a photographer, Jim Olive. And in, uh, I think he's in Texas. And all of this was in within the state of Texas. So, um, so that means it might mean it's a little different for other listeners that don't live in Texas about how this works, but that part of it wasn't real detailed in in this. So here, here's what the, in general happened. Uh, he, t- he went out and he took extreme measures to, to get some really cool photos. He uh, rented a helicopter. He, uh, he went and hung himself outside of the helicopter and, uh, and took some, some really cool aerial kinds of images with, and, um, and then he, he, licensed them. And he did everything that we're talk- we've talked about on the show here. He has um, all of the copyright information there. He registered the image with the copyright office before um, he released it out to the world or, or made it available on his site. And so to me, it seems like as he that he did everything right on what should be here. And then there was a university in Texas. I think it was the University of Houston, is that right? Yeah, I think it was the University of Houston. Anyway, there was a university that uh, took his image. Oh, and he watermarked it. He did that too. He put a watermark on his image. So they took his image, they removed his copyright, and then they used it on their website to help them advertise their business school. And um, and this happened for quite some time. Uh, he he traced it back to about four years worth of use that the business school for this university had infringed his copyright and used his photo to advertise their business. And they, they removed the copyright and attribution material on the image. So, um, 
he has filed a case. Well, and maybe first what we should talk about, Jim, is this wasn't a traditional kind of uh, lawsuit on infringement. And that was because this is a government entity. Is is that what happened there? Why he he didn't he he took a different approach to trying to uh, enforce his copyright here than the traditional method. What what was that about, Jim? Yeah. So, um, okay. Uh, there, there's uh, there's a lot to understand here. So, I guess one thing to add just in the beginning is the way this came out in all the photography publications is. The government just took all our images. They think <laughs> right. they can take all our images and give us no damages, etc. Um, and and that's much much more um, uh, exciting than the case really is. Okay. <laughs> um, the case actually says something much much more narrow than what all the photography media has been reporting. At least the articles that I wrote. So normally, uh, when we sue for copyright, it it's a federal case. Um, a state, you can't sue in state court over copyright because it, it, the federal system has exclusive jurisdiction over copyright. So it's going to happen in federal court if you're going to sue under copyright. Now, there's a problem with that. The, the university that stole the image here is the University of Houston. It is a state-owned, state-run university. And so it was the government, the state government, that stole the image. And so he says, crap, now we have a problem. By default... The government has immunity from lawsuits. Now, there are a million holes in that. The government is probably the most sued entity in (laughs) all of the legal system. Um, But by default, the government has immunity. Um, And so you say, crap, what are we going to do now? And then there's a further problem. Copyright uh, is a construct of Congress. It's something that the federal government says exists, right? It says you can own something that is non-tangible. Um, and so now we have a situation that state sovereignty is the real issue in this case. The real issue here is can the federal government create liability for a sovereign state? Uh, for the state of Texas, the country of Texas, right? Um, uh, and that's the real problem here. That's why they didn't want to sue in federal court is this problem. And so he went about it in a different way. What he's saying in this court is that there was a taking. A taking means a seizure of private property or a substantial deprivation of the right to its free use or enjoyment. So a taking can be as opaque as, you know, I own an acre of land, the county wants to put a road through my land, and, you know, they have this long straight road, and great, now it's my property. We've got to we got to continue the road. And so the government uses eminent domain, which is a, to- a taking. Right. And they say, hey, yeah, sorry, we're going to take your, your property and we're going to put a road on it. But they have to give me just compensation for taking that. They're going to have to give me the going rate for that land. And so uh, a taking can be as obvious as that, as eminent domain. But it can also be much more opaque. Um, something like uh, I own a mall and the government makes a law that says, hey, if you own a a private place open to the public, like a mall, it's open to the public, you have to allow free speech like protesters, political activism in your mall. Well, that's actually a taking. 
because I own this private property and now the government has made a law that that restricts my free use and enjoyment of that property. And so that's a taking. The government would actually have to compensate me for doing that. Um, so takings is a very large area of loss. And that's the area of law that he's used to go after this because he says, crud, federal copyright law is going to be a problem because this is a state. And so I've got to find a different way. The way that I'm going to do it is I'm going to say there was a taking. I have property in copyright of this image and the government has used that image and he's saying it's a taking. So important to note, he's saying that when the government used my image, they either seized my private property, which they didn't. They didn't like take the photo off his hard drive and never let him use it anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the other part of it is a substantial deprivation of the right to its free use or enjoyment. And that's not totally obvious with copyright, right? Yeah. Because did they change the, did they give a substantial deprivation to my right or free use or enjoyment of the, of that photo? Hmm. Maybe, right? <laughs> right? Because just because they have it doesn't mean I'm not just as happy with it on my hard drive. The argument, of course, would be that, you know, uh, now I, I can't sell this photo as well because it's it's out there in the public. That That's going to be their argument. But but the real legal question. So sorry, I've got come a long way to no, this. No, the real legal question in the case is um, can can even copyright be used uh, can the violation of copyright be a be a, a viol can, can you ha can you use the takings clause in a copyright case right um, and that believe it or not had not been litigated uh, this is this is a first of its kind where we saw this where a state um, has taken an image they're they're sued for under the takings clause this is this is new right. And so the conclusion that came out of all this, so he, he sued, he was trying to say this was a taking and, and uh, now that we've talked about it, it seems clear to me too. He was trying to say it's the taking, but I'm going to go for the, the damages like I would a copyright infringement. He was trying to tie those two things together and they, uh, the court's ruling if I understand it right, says we conclude that a government unit's copyright infringement is not a taking and that the trial court therefore erred in denying the plea to jurisdiction. Um, I don't get the last part there, Jim, but that first part is they, they are saying, yep, uh, copyright infringement. They're not really making a judgment on whether this was infringement or not, um, but that is not a taking. And therefore, they he can't he can't get the damages. But what does the last part mean? Uh, yeah. So this the subject matter jurisdiction. That's where I was talking about how the you know the federal system is going to have oh, exclusive right. jurisdiction over um, over copyright claims. And they're saying like, yeah, this sorry, you're trying you're trying to do copyrighty stuff in this case, and that's that's, that's just not what we do in state court. That's federal. Uh, okay, I got it. I got it. All right. So the So so it's yeah. really a much more narrow ruling. Can you can you see what I mean now when I when I said like the way this was reported is mm, a little bit more sensational than it really is. This is a pretty narrow ruling and it it doesn't even mean that the state government can just use your images willy-nilly. The, There's still ways you could recover for this just not the way that he did it. Uh-huh. 
Okay, but and so the ways, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. But he he did everything that that we talked about. Photographers can do to protect their images. Put the watermark in. Registered with the copyright office. Had clear licensing terms on his site for what it takes to image it and what the terms are of the licensing. All of that was there. So is it because he went the taking route that it's a problem and and or. What I'm what I'm wondering is okay. Well, why? How is it that that we can make it so that a government can't just take our photo? Ah, it's that dang sovereignty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stupid constitution. Um. Yeah. No, I totally understand the frustration there because it's like, uh, and he did do everything right. I don't see anything that happened wrong here. And there were even some novel arguments here. Uh, for example, that um, that maybe his free use and enjoyment was infringed here because uh, because when the University of Houston sent it to a magazine uh, on an article about the um, about the school, then yeah, that also is another licensing opportunity right. that he's lost that came out of this. So, so there were some novel and compelling arguments in the case. Um, but what he should have done if he wanted to recover is he should have sued the individual in the government who used the image. There he could he probably could have have recovered. My guess is they thought of that. They looked at this person. They're like, ah, this person's this is you know some secretary yeah, at some yeah. office in the government. They have no money. What's the purpose of this, right? right. And so we got to find a way to go after the 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 university. But but that actually can work uh, to sue the individual at the government. He also could have sued for injunctive relief to just force the 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 state the the university to stop using the image without any damages there he could have prevailed and so that's why i say it's sensational to say the government can use all our, all our images right. willy-nilly no you could stop them it's just recovering the damages that's a problem and they, it does say in the court document that they took the image down immediately as soon as as soon as he contacted the university because he he sent them a bill <laughs> that was i i think if if i remember right that's how the whole thing got kicked off was he found he discovered the infringement and he sent them a bill and they they even paid him or said they would pay him but not the amount he'd billed for it was the amount they felt was reasonable to license the image and uh, was not going to give him any compensation for the 4 years they had used the image before licensing and so um so they had talked about it and and he, they did take the image down they stopped using it immediately so, you know, I guess at least that happened. Uh, they, they did agree that they shouldn't be using the image. Uh, but it's just, yeah, yeah. go ahead. Uh, yeah, so the one thing, other thing I would add there is that Congress actually tried to fix this problem a long time ago. Um, there's the CRCR, the, the, sorry, the CRCA, where basically it's a law that, that fixed this problem, right? Um, but then there was the whole 11th Amendment issue <laughs> that uh, kind of was a big issue. Uh, but basically what it did is it said that the, the CRCA said um, that it tried to subject states in federal court to copyright infringement. Exactly this. It would have fixed this issue. Problem is, as it's been litigated, the states have said, yeah, I don't think so because of the 11th Amendment. You, the, the federal government um, uh, can't subject states uh, to to liability without the states having waived that liability. And so this would have been fixed. Congress tried to fix this, um, but then it ran into 
to uh, constitutional challenges. All right. So what you're saying is we need a, an amendment to the Constitution to fix this issue. Uh, well, yeah, that would be a big one. I think the more likely is that states uh, individually just decide, hey, let's have liability for copyright, which is, I think is pretty unlikely to go. Yeah, through. that also is very unlikely. <laughs> this is a fun bill. Let's yeah. be liable for more stuff. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. So I, I don't know. I guess I, I just for me, this isn't a big deal because I don't I don't expect any of my images are going to end up being infringed this way. But if it did and if it did. I don't know that I would even fight for it. Uh, it's just, it's not personally for me something that is so impactful to my life that it's even worth it. Again, the juice not worth the squeeze to me. Um, what do you think, Brent? I I pretty much have to agree with you because un- until you get to that kind of level, you know, like this this photographer that was infringed, you know, he did everything he could think to do. And then some, as far as what we do, you know, as far yeah. as registering the copyright. And if if this if a thing like this happens, yeah, it's just you're pretty much out of luck. And I, I remember thinking the same thing when I was working for the tourism board here. Uh, I was just like, you know, they are paying me for these images, but if they were to go above and beyond and use these, I'm pretty sure I have no case. So I just kept quiet. And kept receiving the the small fees that they were paying me, and and that was you know that I, I deemed that acceptable at the time, and uh, as yet they haven't I've not seen any of those images used again because you know they're timely and whatnot, and so they've effectively expired. But still, it's just something that is definitely has been on my mind whenever you're dealing with a state entity and your creative outlets. You know, this is this is something you got to deal with. What I would love to see happen is a state entity rip off a Hollywood blockbuster and get some energy from Hollywood on this because, you know, until you have major dollars, major, major dollars involved, there's just not going to be that big of a, that big of a push on something like this. Yeah, I I guess in the end, I'm pretty practical on, on copyright um, I, 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 you know, we have the rights and, and we should be paid for our work totally, but just in a practical standpoint, what I see personally is the more open I am about my images, the more offerings to make, to license the images I get. Sure. Uh, I'm thinking of one where I donated a photo to a charity, um, and I posted on my Facebook, a picture of me in front of that picture in their office. Um, and then three individuals, uh, said, Hey, I want to buy one of those. Um, you know, that, that messaged me from it. Uh, and that kind of thing I see all the time, you know, you want to burn your relationship with your wedding photography client, tell them they can't use the photo of their wedding. <laughs> That's a great way to never, ever, ever get a referral from right, that client, right? right? right. And so, again, I don't fault any photographer who sees this differently. I totally get you. We deserve to be paid for our work. But just in a practical standpoint, I usually see that those who are just nice and clear and open and, and willing to, to let your images see the light of day in a reasonable and protected way um, are those who end up making the money. Right. Yep. Okay. Totally agree. I I'm sure this won't be the last episode where we talk about copyright because it, it just comes up, you know, periodically there's, there's major stories and that's, that's part of what makes me 
have have the decision but personally i am not going to worry about this much cuz every story is like tons of time tons of money and that's i just it, even if there was a whole bunch of money at stake i'm just not sure I want to go through that. <laughs> I don't know if it was actually a, a lot of money. Maybe it would be the juice would be worth the squeeze to me. But but uh, as it stands <laughs> right now, it's just not a, a big big deal for me personally. Again, I agree with you, Jim. Yeah. If it is for somebody, then have at it. You know, your full rights are there. You should you should go after it if if it's going to be something that will actually benefit you and and uh, and give you compensation. What do you want to say, Brent? Well, the juice would be worth the squeeze if it were a, 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 a private company or even a public company, but a, a company like Apple, let's say, and they wanted to use it as sure. their desktop. Certainly, Apple is not going to go that route and just rip someone off. But if it were to that level, you know, we're talking tens of thousands, possibly hundreds of thousands of dollars in licensing fees there. And then the juice would absolutely be worth the squeeze, especially if you registered it, because then they owe you lawyer fees and all uh, court fees and and extra damages and stuff. So, you know, you'd come out uh, whistling a nice tune after that one and just let, yeah, your, absolutely. let your lawyers take it. <laughs> you let your lawyers take the, the heat <laughs> on that one and, and they'll take their cut and that's fine. They deserve it. So, uh, but at least you'll come out pretty good too. So it kind of, it's a sliding scale. You know, if it's a, a little mom and pop shop or whatever the case might be, yeah, it's, it's not worth it. Partly because you're going to get, you know, nailed as uh just this jerk online uh, and they're not going to do any referrals or, or anything or, you know, that they might even talk bad about you and you probably could deal without that too. So it just depends on the, the nature of the infringement. Well, yeah. And also think about this specific photographer who I am sympathetic to. Oh, absolutely. Uh, he was not treated fairly, but at the same time, like it's 2019 and this was a photo he took in 2005 Right. And he's endured years of vitriol and and legal cases yeah. and fighting oh, yeah. and everything publicly to try to get his squeeze. And it's just like, whew, whew, you got to, wow, <laughs> you know, yep. it, it is, is it worth it? Well, yeah. and the initial response, they offered him like 2,500 bucks right. as well. You know, that mm-hmm. I'm sure he was like, uh, no, that's not enough. But, you know, at least they kind of did something and you know, the whole industry could have avoided this, this, this fear, if we want to call it that, of having all our images stolen, uh, you know, if, if he had taken that money, you know, if I, if I were that photographer, would I have taken that money? Who, I, I can't say that I would have. It, so yeah. it's certainly, it's, it's impossible for me to judge, but, it, you know, the, the university did try and weasel their way out and, and avoid all this. They knew they were, quote, in the wrong, but now, they aren't. They can just, you know, the court ruled they can take it. I guess that's the frustrating part to me. Seeing someone that does care about this, and rightfully so, the the photographer has a really cool image there. They've they invested heavily in creating it too. Mm-hmm. Renting a helicopter, that's a big deal. That is not cheap. <laughs> and uh and so so I can totally understand why this photographer did feel like the juice was worth the squeeze on this. I I if I was in exactly the same situation, I probably would have too. I'm not in that situation, so I haven't had that. Uh, but oh, so it's that, that's what's disheartening to me a little bit about this story is he did everything he could. And then it was still years of battling in court. And today, as it stands, he's not on the, the side he wants. Uh, he's not getting yeah. what he wants out of this. And that's that's the really frustrating part of the story to me. Yep. 
Yep, it is. Okay. Now that we've had that sad overtone <laughs> on the end of this show, uh, let, let's let's move on to something that hopefully will be a little happier. We'll, we'll close out the show here with our doodads of the week. Let's start with you, Brent. So I have chosen the Skywatcher Star Adventure Pro Pack. I really do enjoy astrophotography, and this is going to allow me to track to move the camera as the Earth spins and get longer exposures of the Milky Way. And so I actually am planning on the 26th of this month, I'm going to go up to the Palouse and do some nighttime photography. So I'm very excited about doing that with a friend who lives in the Palouse. And then I'll be heading out again in the beginning of July to to head out uh, to, to get some of these because that, that beginning of July, that's when there's no moon. And so we should have a pretty good deal with uh, with the with the stars showing out. So hopefully it'll work out for me. I watched a couple of YouTube videos on this and that looks really simple to set up, especially if you're using a wide angle lens, you don't need, you know, the, the absolute accuracy if you're using a wider angle lens. So, uh, you know, if you're only doing like a minute's worth of exposure, if I were to do in like a 400 millimeter lens, I would need a much more precise setup than this is going to provide, but I'm going to stick with, you know, generally wide and, and just get some better, uh, Milky Way type photos. Yeah, that's exciting. I love doing Astro too. It's so much fun. And I, I want to get one of these someday, but man, they're expensive enough. <laughs> I haven't this been able to is, justify it yet. Yeah, this kit has everything, a counterweight and this little extra. You can buy the unit just itself, but it doesn't have the extra mount that puts it at the right angle uh-huh. for you. And so this kit has everything that you would need to get mostly accurate. And I like the idea of the counterweight too. Uh, but at $370, I was like, you know, it's not terrible. So, um, for what it's going to give me. So yeah, I figured I'd go for it. Excellent. I'm excited to hear and see the images that you get. when. Yeah. I'm I'm really excited to see what can happen, but I've never shot the actual Milky Way with anything like this. So, you know, this first time out here on the 26, (laughs) I'm pretty sure it's going to be a bunch of junk, but you know, you never know that that's, that's part of the fun. Uh, I might get lucky, but really this this first one is about learning this how this works. And then when I go out in July, uh, early July, then I'm, that's where I'm hoping that I can actually get some really good keepers. Fun. That's exciting. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Jim, what about you? Okay. This could be the strangest item in all the doodads of the week. <laughs> and how long, how long, when does this, a long time this show has been going. Yes. Okay. This is an as yet uninvented item. <laughs> oh boy. I want somebody to invent this. So <laughs> I'm last notes. week, last <laughs> week I'm, I'm out washing my car and I see it had just rained a little bit ago. They're cool, dark clouds. And I see this little gap between the the clouds and the horizon and probably only 25 minutes left in the day. And I thought, ah, oh, dang, I've got to go take pictures, right? Because you know something good is about to happen. I'm driving toward this old barn in my town. Um, and of course, the rainbow comes out just at the right moment, right? Uh-huh. And there's this field of flowers in front of the barn. And I'm like, yes, I parked the car. I get out. Rainbow's looking good. I'm not kidding. I turn around for 10 seconds to hook up because I even thought, I thought, okay, do I just freehand this, take a shot and call it good? Um, because there's enough light. I could get a sharp shot here. And I thought, no, come on, don't be lazy. Get the tripod out, right? And of course, <laughs> in like the 20 seconds, it takes me to grab my tripod and hook it up. 
the rainbow just vanishes. You've yep. seen them do that, oh, right? Yeah. Just, <laughs> Absolutely. It's they're just they're shy. They don't want to be photographed. Oh, so frustrating. Okay, so at the same time, I'm teaching my kids uh, to get ready for hunting season. We live, again, out way out in the country, and that's what people do here, right? Um, and so there's a product, it's a tripod, uh, it's called the Primo's shoot trigger and it has at the top of it, it has like a, a joystick. You just pull in a little lever and all the legs of the tripod just slide down into place. So if you're like on a hillside or something shooting from a hillside, you hold the tripod where you want it to be. You press this button and all the legs go down to the perfect length and just lock themselves right? So you don't have to like adjust each leg where uh-huh. it is, right? Just like boom and seconds you're out, right? right? Make it for photography. That is my doodad of the week. Somebody needs to make this for photography. It's the coolest thing ever. Uh, as soon as I saw it, I thought, why don't photographers have this? This is an amazing tripod. Yeah. Um, and so somebody should be making that. <laughs> that is my doodad of the week. <laughs> all right. A business idea for all you listeners out there. <laughs> <laughs> Want to go make Jim's camera tripod dreams come true. <laughs> Excellent. All right. My doodad of the week is something I don't have yet. I, I don't like doing that. I, I want to be able to recommend things that I've actually used and put through the test. And that's why I like to come back to the things that are working for me and, and re-recommend them uh, because I have experience with it. And, and then I feel way better about that. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suggest something I don't have. And I want to be clear, I don't have it yet. And that's something that um, it's, it looks so cool. It's called Satpack, and so you you can see this Satpack.com. It's a it's a device that you can connect to your phone via Bluetooth that will that enables you to send messages via satellite communication when you have no cell phone service. And so you can be out in the middle of nowhere when lots of listeners are, are you experience that you go hiking in a big mountain, you, you lose cell phone coverage or you go far enough away to actually have no light in your astro shot that Brent's going to be doing. Yeah. And you're not likely to have cell phone coverage. And so this is a way to make it so that you can still uh, still message and and uh, have it as kind of a you know a safety thing when you're out especially if you're alone then you you can be able to get messages to people if something terrible happens to you don't do that don't go alone <laughs> you should take people with you and so that you're you're not by yourself and and that'll help a lot but uh, this looks super super cool to me the hardware costs two hundred and fifty dollars and then the the coolest part about it to me because that I mean the hardware that's I don't know. It's going to depend on on your situation whether or not that's expensive. But uh, the coolest part is this isn't a monthly service thing. You don't that's have to pay a monthly cool. service fee. It's a per message usage fee, and they they yeah. explain kind of how the the product was developed and what they're doing so that they can provide that. Um, so that's super cool that you could buy this device, not use it for months and months, and then the one time you go out on your trip and you're going to be totally. Uh, away from cell phone reception, you'll have it with you. And, and then you have something that, that you could get messages out to people um, should you need to. So that's, that looks really cool to me. I'm going to suggest it for, for my wife for like my birthday. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. I was actually looking at the Garmin inReach recently because I was wanting to get one of these because um, I spent a lot of time up in the mountains. I was looking at the Garmin inReach and it's more expensive yeah. and you have to have a subscription. So I am on board. Yep. 
So I, I saw this recommended. It was recommended by someone. Uh, their daughter works for the company is how I how I stumbled across it. So um, and he loves it. Like, well, I, he just got it, too. So I, he couldn't tell me how it worked, but how well it worked. But, uh, you know, go check it out again. I don't have it, so I, I can't say if it's totally, uh, you know, works great or if it has problems. I, I don't know, but it's compelling. It looks really cool and I want one. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Very cool. Thank you all both Brent and Jen. Thank you for joining me today. Talk about this. Um, I had fun. I, it wasn't like the coolest topic <laughs> to have, but <laughs> it's a good the, one. still. but it's, it's an important one to talk about. And, and I wanted to, to get somebody that actually knew what, with Jim and, and his law background to be able to parse this for me because I, I wasn't really making sense of it. And I don't trust the mainstream media to get it right <laughs> in, in most cases. <laughs> we don't cases. trust those people. Yeah. I just, they, they, you know, most of the time it's more about getting the headline and the, and the attention than it is the content. So uh, I just want to. Yeah, you're very right about that. It's, it's easy, especially with law cases for journalists who like, it's very opaque. It's very hard to understand and they want a good headline and things kind of go crazy. Yeah. All right. So thank you for, for joining us. Um, let's talk about some of the, the reminders for the show. This is the part that everyone just abandoned. So, so, <laughs> but this Don't is abandon a, us. Yeah. masterphotographypodcast.com is where you're going to find all the show notes. We'll have like the full discussion here and links to everything. So if you want to go dig in more on this really depressing copyright story, then you can go do that and, and read the, the case for yourself. Uh, Facebook group is Master Photography Podcast. And again, we'd love to hear kind of what you're doing with copyright or defending your photos. What are you doing to protect your photos from being stolen? Is If, if you've got some kind of workflow that's uh, really working for you and, and you know, love to hear about it. Love to hear what you're doing. Instagram uh, is at Master Photography Podcast. You can find my work at jsharmanphotos.com or my other podcast, phototacopodcast.com. Uh, we just recently did, uh, I just did a show with Victoria Bampton. We talked about the new texture slider in Lightroom. So if you want to know about that, what it's doing and how to use it, go check out that episode. I'll put the other links to my social media stuff in the show notes because you won't remember it when I say it here anyway. And if you want to find me, you can go, you can go find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Brent, where can people find you? Um, my hub is my website. That's where I have things about my printing course and my workshops there. And then, of course, Latitude Photography Podcast. That's my personal podcast. And I just recorded, it'll be published here in a couple of weeks, but I just recorded uh, Ibarionex Perello. It's I, I tripped over oh, his name. Cool and guy. It, oh, he's excellent. I was just lo- loved that conversation. So I'm really thrilled to have that uh, coming out and then you can just search my name on the socials, whether it's um, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, all those things. You'll you'll find some instance of me there. And uh, that's pretty much it. All right. Jim, where can people find you these days? Uh, at Income School, especially our YouTube channel, Income School's YouTube channel. Excellent. And uh, like I said, photographers, you can go check it out. Check out what Jim's got going on over there. It, it, may, it may help you a lot on, uh, on getting more views to your website and bringing people there. All right. Thanks again, guys. Uh, It was so much fun talking with y'all and listeners. We're so glad to have you and we'll see you again in another seven days. 